Great to be with you. We are in the final week of a series called Better Together. And basically the kind of basic premise of Better Together is that God is after a church not made up of individuals, but people who relate together, that that's how we grow, by connecting together to know each other. God is not after a church where we just attend, but it's a place where we participate, that we are um, known and we know. And we're in the final week, and in particular today we are thinking about, talking about, celebrating, giving thanks for a church which has gathered from all over the world, of all the diversity that we have in the room and have across the church today, and we want to talk about that. And part of, you see, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find there are moments in the history of the people of Israel. Each year there are different festivals where they would gather together and they would give thanks for what God has done amongst them, and that's what we're doing today. They would give thanks, they would get together, have a festival, they would pray together, they would sing together, they would retell the story, they would eat together, amen, okay, and they would retell the story about what God has done and remember what God has promised to do, and that's what we're doing today as we finish this series called Better Together, and as we talk particularly about our diversity. And right at the top, I want to take you to a a psalm which just has which really kind of sums this up, I think, for us as we kick off. So this is what Psalm 107 says. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let's read that together, in fact. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Okay, now... What Psalm 107 says there, we're going to do today. It says, give thanks, all of you, and as we tell the story, our story. Church should be a place where we give thanks. It should be a place, a family in which there's gratitude and joy. It doesn't mean that we're not real about all the challenges. We should be that as well. But it should be a place where we give thanks for what God is going to do. And that's one of the markers of the people of God, that we have a reason to sing, in other words. And Psalm 107 describes something of our story. You have, if you like, an individual story about what's happened to you in your life, where you're from, if you've become a Christian, how you became a Christian. But we together have a collective story. Psalm 107 says, let's gather all the people and we're going to tell their story. So it describes us in many ways. We were, just like Psalm 107 says, we were held by a foe, an enemy. If you are a Christian here, before you became a Christian, the Bible says you were literally a slave to sin. In other words, you were held by an enemy and you couldn't get out. You wanted to get to God, you couldn't get to God, you were held. And Jesus breaks in, frees you, and, and brings new life to you. You are born into a new life and born into a new kingdom. Okay, and this is true of whether you're African. Anybody from Africa here today? Yes. I'm going to see who's loudest. So we're going to give you that. I'm going to see who's loudest. Okay. This is true whether you're from Asia. They're very quiet. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Anybody from the Caribbean? Is that the Jamaicans? That's the Jamaicans, isn't it? Yeah. It's true if you're from Europe. See, all the British people are like, am I from Europe? I don't know. I don't know. It's true. I don't know if I really want to associate with them. Okay. 
It's true if you're from China. I guess that's Asia as well, yes. And it's even true if you're from places like Manchester. Amen, which I am not. Okay, now, and from all the other places around the world, you have this story, and God did this in your life if you're a Christian. But Psalm 107 says this as well, we have been gathered. In other words, the church is not just a collection of individuals who sit next to each other week in, week out. We have been gathered together, part of a new people. Church isn't a place where we collect Christians. Church is a new family of people. We don't just sit next to each other, we're related to each other. So have a little look around you. Have a little look. Go on, you can turn around, it's fine. I can, okay? I know we don't always choose who we're related to, okay? We don't just sit next together, we're related. God creates not just new people, but a whole new community. So as part of today, I want to help you. I want to remind you something of our collective story. Okay? You become a Christian one by one, individually, but you are born into a new people. We have a reason to sing. And I want to help us by looking at a passage in Ephesians 2. Bear with me. It's a little long, uh, but it's a very helpful passage. When we think about giving thanks, we think about what it means to be together, and we think about what it means to be together in a very diverse community. Okay? So Ephesians 2, verse 11 it's going to come up on the screen. It says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who are themselves the circumcision, or call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And that's where you were. But now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came, preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now when you read a passage like this, you need to understand, to help you understand, in the New Testament there were often refers to two primary or fundamental cultural groupings. There were lots of cultural groupings, but often in the Bible it refers to two in the New Testament. Jews and Gentiles. In other words, these people who were Jewish or people who were not Jewish, Gentiles. Primarily, you were Jewish or Gentile by birth. You could convert into being a Jew, but basically it was by birth. Now, the majority of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, is devoted to the story of God calling the Jewish nation. God speaks to the Jewish nation, calls them to be his people, And from about Genesis 12 to about the coming of Jesus, God devotes most of his attention 
to the saving work through and in the people of Israel. Okay. Now, whilst that is true, what happens is this. The promise that comes to the people of Israel, God's attention for the people of Israel, in the end was never just for the people of Israel. Okay? So right at the heart, right at the start, when God calls Israel through Abraham and promises what he's going to do through Abraham and all his descendants, is a promise that it was never going to be just for Israel. Okay? So let me take you to Genesis 12. It says this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. And all, notice, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The promise comes to Israel. God calls the people of Israel to be his people but the promise and the call in the end is never to just end with Israel, but is to go to all the earth. In other words, it wasn't just for Jews. It begins with the Jews, but the blessing is for to be for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, the problem is this, and we experience this in ourselves too. When blessing comes, our tendency, our temptation, is to hoard and keep what's good to ourselves. Right? So how many of you have ever had a three-year-old or worked with three-year-olds or know any three-year-olds? Okay? Right. Okay. Loved three-year-olds when I've had them. Okay. The thing about three-year-olds is, let me give you an example. If you were to bless a three-year-old by giving them some sweets, okay, a bag of sweets or some chocolates, okay, how many of those three-year-olds would go, thank you, I didn't have any sweets, now I do have some sweets, thank you for giving that to me. I will now go around the rest of the play group and share my sweets fairly to all, because I didn't have these sweets before and this blessing. I'm going to share. What do they want to do? They want to hoard it, don't they? And if anybody comes towards them and threatens to put their hand, they're going to, yeah, they're going to get done, aren't they? We want to hoard. We want to keep. Okay? It's not just kids. It's adults too. How many of you men, if I said, I'm going to give you a free, you know, a free BMW, brand new. It's interesting. Every time I've said this, people in the room are like, uh, yeah. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening, okay? It's like, if I were to give you a free car, a BMW, I'm like, here are the keys. How many of you go, thank you for that BMW? Now I'd like to share this BMW with all the other men in the room. You're not going to do that. You're going to want to kind of keep it on your, on your drive and wash it on Sunday afternoons and look after it. The problem with blessing is we like to hoard and we like to keep things exclusive and we like to kind of like keep things to ourselves. And a little bit in that sense, a little bit what happens in the Old Testament is the blessing comes to Israel. It's always to be through Israel to the ends of the earth. But what happens is often the people of Israel start to believe or, start to, or just don't understand. They think that the call is to them, it starts with them and ends with them. You know, as they're the people of God and for anybody else to come to know God, they have to, in effect, become Jewish. That was their understanding. Now, that wasn't exclusively true, but primarily that was the case. Okay, and it becomes all sorts of troubles in the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene and blows everything wide open. The tendency is exclusively, we tend towards it. And it's true for all of us, isn't it? It's true culturally for all of us. We tend to migrate towards people who look like us. Each of us do that. Okay? That's how we tend to do that. It's, 
we tend to kind of become slightly exclusive. It's interesting, they've done studies with kids in classrooms. They've given, I've read a couple of things where they've basically gone into classrooms and they've given some bunch of kids blue pencils and other kids red pencils. And they haven't said anything, they just distribute them in the classroom. Okay? And then they watch what happens. Okay? What happens is the kids with the red pencils find the other kids with red pencils and start to kind of group together. And the kids with blue pencils find the other kids with blue And they start to group. We, we tend to migrate towards people who have commonality with us. It's what happens. Now, the real problem with this as well, or one of the issues with this, and he addresses this in Ephesians 2, which is a real issue, and he says it is this, that exclusivity tends to lead towards hostility. Exclusivity tends to lead towards hostility. And he touches this in Ephesians 2. He's, he touches on the fact that there is history here between cultural groupings. And that was definitely true in their day between Jews and non-Jews, particularly Jews and Samaritans. There was a big history where basically the Jews and Samaritans had hated each other for centuries because there was, you know, there was example after example through history where they had oppressed and hurt and murdered each other. And if you read Roman history, you'll find it's, it's recorded in Roman history where there's a bunch of Jewish pilgrims who are going to Jerusalem for Passover and they are ambushed on the road to Jerusalem and slaughtered by Samaritans. There's other stories of Jewish, a Jewish mob going from Jerusalem to a Samaritan village and massacring the whole village. There's, if you like, there's, there's oppression and murder on both sides, which is why they hate each other, which is why when Jesus comes and says, I'm going to tell you a story about a good Samaritan who rescues a Jewish man and stops and bandages and pays for him, he's he is telling like a loaded cultural story because he's talking about an enemy who stops, in effect, and he redefines who your neighbor is. So when Jesus also says at the end, he says, now go into the whole earth, you know, preach the gospel, baptize people, go from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the whole earth. He's saying, literally, go to the people who have mistreated you the most, who you have the most cultural problems with and become their neighbor and spread good news to them and love them. So the gospel is not all nice. It is like cultural dynamite and touches on all sorts of issues of exclusivity and hostility. And the hostility you saw in Ephesians that he's addressing between Jews and non-Jews, we still see today. We've seen it all throughout history, haven't we? We see it all around the world today. You just switch the... Teddy on, you'll see it. We see it in our own society, in our own city, and many of us in our own stories where you've experienced that. Racial and ethnic hatred is evil. Let's just say that clearly. And Paul addresses this in this story, saying, look, this is your story. One of the reasons you can give thanks today is because you were there and now you're here. And it's good to remember the story of where we were and where we've come to. So he says, this is part of your story. In fact, he says, there's been such hostility between you, Jews, and the non-Jews. He says, it's like there's a dividing wall. In verse 14, he describes it as a dividing wall of hostility. We build walls, don't we? We build walls between classes and cultures. Sometimes we build physical walls. Often they're designed to alienate and separate, occasionally to protect, but more often they're designed to oppress. 
But the walls that we build physically, in the end, are really just expressions of what is going on right through the middle of our own hearts. Without Jesus, we are all, by nature, wall builders. Yeah? That's true. And he says, in Ephesians 2, he says, there was a dividing wall of hostility between you. In other words, you didn't just have a problem that you were cut off from God. Verse 12 says you were strangers, excluded, foreigners, without hope. You can just put that up. That's where you were without God. You were strangers, foreigners, excluded, and without hope. It's not just you were cut off from God, he says. You were cut off from one another. You weren't just alienated from him. You were alienated from one another. There was like a dividing wall of hostility between cultures. That's where you were. This is part of the story, he says. And that's part of our story. It's part of our world. But then he says this. And then, Paul says, Jesus comes, and Jesus' coming changes everything. That's not just a twee, nice comment, you know. What you say, you say in church is because you said, should say that in church. You know the kind of famous Sunday school you know, story that they said to a whole bunch of little kids? You know, what's, they were telling a story. They go, look, look what's brown and furry and gathers nuts in May and, you know, in, sorry, in the winter and, and hibernates. And, and one little girl put her hand up and said, well, sure sounds like a squirrel, but I guess the answer is Jesus. Right? <laughs> we're not talking about Jesus. That's just a nice thing to say in church. Jesus is coming, changes everything in history. And if you encounter him, he will start to change everything, if you allow him to, in your life, bit by bit by bit. And Jesus' coming changes everything when we think about what's happened in our midst. See, suddenly, people who were far away, Gentiles like you and me, who were considered outside of the kingdom, not allowed in, born in the wrong bloodline, Suddenly, people who are outside, Jesus says, are allowed in. If you like, people who the doors were closed and locked to, the doors are blown wide open. Jesus preaches this. He talks again and again in the Gospels that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming. And he's saying it's a new era in the kingdom. He tells stories about it when he talks about the Good Samaritan and other stories about the fact that God is redefining who the kingdom of God is for. In other words, he is redefining who the people of God are. He demonstrates it in the way he lives. You read through the Gospels, you watch people he touches, the people he, uh, he heals, the people he speaks to, the people he notices, pretty much again and again are all the people who are considered outside of the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus is demonstrating, he is signposting that the kingdom is not about blood, it's not about a birth line anymore. It's about being born again by faith in Jesus. And Jesus blows open the doors on who can come. And most crucially, not only does he talk about it, uh, demonstrate it, tell stories about it, crucially, Jesus' death, his life and his death and his resurrection secures it. Jesus' life and death and resurrection secures the kingdom. is now wide open for anyone to come. Because Jesus is... Born a Jew, he dies a Jew, but he's raised for the whole earth. Okay? As we, as we enter Easter, one of the amazing things about Easter is when Jesus is raised, the doors are blown open for you and I. Because you and I, if you're not Jewish, we're considered outside the kingdom. And Jesus suddenly blows it wide open. 
Two critical things I need you to understand when we think about what it means to be together, what it means to be a diverse group of people, a community with all its richness, with all the things we need to learn, okay, when we think about salvation and our redemption story. Here's the first thing you need to understand, and he is addressing this in this passage. Number one, there is only one way to God, and it is through uh, the blood of Jesus. Verse 17 of Ephesians 2, Paul says this, He came and he preached to those of you who are far away, that's the Gentiles, you and me, and to those who are near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father. Through whom do we get to the Father? Through Jesus. Both through Jesus we come to the Father. The death and the resurrection means we can all come today. Okay? And it has nothing to do with our backgrounds. It has nothing to do with our nationality. It has nothing to do with whether you think you've done well or badly. It has nothing to do with your performance. You may consider yourself the worst of all sinners, but the powerful message of the gospel is this. Jesus has made a way for you to come. See, the gospel is performance-related. It's just not your performance. It has nothing to do with whether you have messed up again and again and again. It has everything to do with the fact that he's never messed up. That's why him living a perfect life was so important. You can come. You don't have to hold back. You see, the enemy will tell you, you're not allowed here. You shouldn't come to worship. You should not press in. You shouldn't even walk through the doors. You, shouldn't, you should just hang your head. The enemy will tell you that. Listen, Jesus died for you so you can come. You might need to come today. The kingdom of God is near to you. And he's made it open to you. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with your need. And it has everything to do with his performance. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who needed a doctor. It's the sick. All you bring to the equation is an acknowledgement that he's Lord and that you need him. That's all you have to do and you come. And this is true of Jew and Gentile alike. Okay? Paul is saying there is one way. See, the Jews had been given the law, okay? the Ten Commandments. And some of you are from churches where you've been taught a lot of the Ten Commandments, and that's all great. But the law, you have to understand the New Testament says about the law, that the law is good, it set the standard for what God wants, but critically, the law is completely impotent when it came to empowering anybody to live up to the standard of the law, right? If you have kids and you give them 20 rules, you watch how many of them manage to keep them all. They can't keep them all. Because the rules in themselves, although they set the standard, they can't empower the child to reach them. Something has to happen inside for them to want to kind of climb that high. The covenant, the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament law set the standard of what God required but was impotent in terms of helping the person empowering to live up to the standard. The law was always there to show Israel to lead them, Galatians 3, to the fact that they needed a saviour. It was supposed to lead them to Jesus. And when Jesus comes, the law, it says, is set aside. Verse 14 of Ephesians 2 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Now listen to this. He's by by setting aside in his flesh the law 
with its commandments and regulations. Jesus, no one could live up to the law, in other words. No one could do it. The law was good, but no one could live up to it. Jesus totally fulfills the law. He lives right up to it. He fulfills it, and therefore he sets it aside. So you can't get to God by the law. You can only get to God by bending the knee, surrendering, and coming through Jesus. One way, only. Everyone falls short, means everyone must come to him humbly. Therefore, there is no race or culture superior to others. Jesus is the only doorway to the Father, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, African, European, Caribbean, Asian, South American, it doesn't matter. One way. Here's the other critical thing you need to understand. This one way, through Jesus, leads you into being one people. One way, one people. Verse 13 of Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's me and you, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his intent, his design, his idea was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You were strangers, you were aliens, you were enemies, but now you are fellow citizens, members of the same household, one new humanity, one new man. You were born new into him and now to become one new man. What does this mean? It means we don't have a church made up of all different cultures, all different backgrounds, all different nationalities, all different ages because it's a good idea or because it's politically correct. We have it because God's intention is to gather people from all around the world and create one new man. Where we celebrate, accept, admire, negotiate, talk about, apologize across all our differences, recognizing that Jesus wants to build a church made up of people from all around the world. That's what he's after. Not because it's a politically correct idea, but because God is after building people one new man. See, Jesus' intention on the cross was not just to save us. Okay, this is amazing. Not just to reconcile you to him, but to reconcile us to one another. That was his intention. That was his desire, to destroy any dividing wall of hostility. Now, we know, I know, that we have to work that out. And sometimes we've been wronged culturally and we have to forgive and it takes time and sometimes years. But that is what God has come to do amongst us. John Piper says this, Christ died to take enmity and anger and disgust and jealousy and self-pity and fear and envy and hatred and malice and indifference away from your heart, my heart, towards all other peoples. It means this, if you are a Christian here today, it means this, that you have a new nationality. Okay, some of us are very proud, and maybe rightly so, of where we're from. It's good. It's good to be clear. But you now have a new nationality which trumps that. It doesn't mean that I'm not British, or you're not Jamaican, or you know, Polish or French or wherever you're from, it just means that first, you're a Christian. First. Second, 
you're British. Second, you're Nigerian. Second, you're American. Second, you're Australian. Second, you're from Manchester. Wherever you're from, you have a new primary identity. You have a new primary identity. Galatians 3 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Is he saying there was a church where there were no men and women? No. There are no Jews and Gentiles? No. He's saying there's a primary identity which trumps the others, that comes first. What it means is this. We don't hold our culture and background so tightly that it prevents us from coming together. We celebrate difference, we acknowledge strengths and weaknesses in our own backgrounds, which we all have. We admit where cultures have hurt and oppressed others. We acknowledge that. And we allow the gospel to trump cultural preferences. It means we have a new us. You know, when you kind of cycle, somewhere inside us, we think of some of us as they're us and they're them. I quite like them, but we're us. Now you have a new us. Have a look around you. You have a new us. People we once considered them, we now consider us. And when we do this, when we embody this, when we work this out, when we talk about it and pray about it, when we forgive each other, when we start to do this, which we do, and we're still learning to do as a church, When we do this, it is a prophetic statement to the world around us. You see, the church is not just called to tell people about Jesus, which it is. The church isn't just called to teach people, which it is. The church is called to display something. Okay, And the church is called in Ephesians 3 to display the manifold wisdom. In other words, the manifold means multicolored wisdom of God to the world, to rulers and authority in heavenly places. One of the most powerful things the church can be is a statement about what Jesus can do amongst different generations, amongst different cultures, to a world which fragments on the issue of race and culture. And the church is called, you and I are called, to be a prophetic statement to the world. So we allow the gospel to trump my cultural preference. Because there is more that God wants to do. So we're going to come to an end. I, I hope you've enjoyed, or I'm enjoying today. One of the things we should do is enjoy being together and learn what it means to be together. But understand God has called us to something beyond a greater cause to make a prophetic statement to the world. The blessing of God in the family of God is never just for the family of God. Amen.